Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is the Revolutionary Podcast. So we're continuing our study on the book of Acts. And we are looking at the initial response to hearing the gospel of Jesus. What did the church do? How did this message move them to live? And so we're going to look at the first progress report in the history of the church to learn the important elements that we need in order to progress in our faith, to grow in our relationship with God, and to grow in our effectiveness in being faithful witnesses to God in this world. So let's see what God has to say in his word. Before we do anything else, before we open up the text for today, let's play a quick association game, all right? When I say the word church, what word comes to mind? Don't say it out loud. We're not going to start a debate already, all right? It's too early for that. But I just want you to think about it. When I say the word church, what word is popping up? Or maybe it's going to be words. So just think about it. I say the word church, what words are coming to mind? Online, I want you to think about it. Don't reserve the, the, the urge to type online. So think about it. What words do you associate when it comes to the church? If you are a, if you've been a Christian for a while, or you've been to church for a little bit, there's probably a lot of words and maybe hard to pin down. If you have very little experience with the church, I'm sure you are very opinionated already by either maybe your experience or the experience of someone else, right? So what words come to mind? Really quick, does anybody have a mix of positive and negative words at the same time? I know, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. So if you're struggling with like, Thinking of positive and negatives, okay, that's, that's interesting. Think of those words for a minute. We're going to come back to that later. Now, let's play a different word association game. What images pop up? When I say the word church, what do you see? Think about it. When I say the word church, what do you see in your mind? I say church, you see, think about it. Maybe for some of you it's a building. Maybe a unique building. Maybe when you think of church, maybe it's that one building in which you grew up in, right? That, that church when you start when you were a kid, maybe that's one thing. Maybe you're thinking of people. Maybe certain images, certain individuals, people that you grew up with, right? If you've had that experience. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, it could be a lot of different things, right? Maybe it's activities, right? Because of your experience or when you see, I don't know, it could be a lot. It could be some negative images as well. So... You all have, I'm sure we all cannot agree on what's a good word or what's this one word or image. Um, a good question for us to ask is, God, Lord, what word should you or do you believe should associate your people? That's a good question to ask. God, what should the one word be? And what should that image be? Well, guys, as Christians, I want you to know we don't have to guess. God has told us both and he's shown us both. The word that should be associated with his church is the word love. Now, I already can say love, and already we can open up a can of worms on that one, right? Let's just be real, and I have an argument of what that means and looks like. But even Jesus didn't allow us to guess. He literally said, love the way I loved you. So our love as a church, the way as Christians, we are called to love the same way Jesus loved. And um, I mean, he loved in a very interesting way, so we can talk about that later, but we will. 
So what's the word? word? It should be love. And then what is the image? What should the image be when it comes to the church? Some of you probably have this image. Anybody have the image of a cross? Did anybody think of the word cross when you thought of church? If you didn't, it's okay. But I want you to for right now. Because if there should be an image that should reflect what the church should see or what should be, it should be the cross. And what's amazing is both those things are in common. The love of God and the cross actually go together. If you were going to draw a picture of love, and if you are going to draw a picture of the love of God, you should draw the cross. And if you look at the cross and think of what word should we associate with the cross, it should be love. It's the same thing. They both go together. And in fact, we need both of those. As a church, it's important for us to just continue to truly understand those because when we see the intersection of that, the love of God and the cross of Christ, when those two things come together, it impacts our life and influences others. And that's what happened to the church then. That's what still happens with the church today. should be the same for us. And so let's read the first progress report that the church ever had. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 before we put it up. Anybody remember getting progress? I know we have still students. Do they do progress reports anymore? No, right? Do they do? <laughs> mom, no, no, they, no, they don't. I told my mom they don't do it anymore. What you doing, bro? Right? Oh, I just, I, I'm sorry. You're in trouble. Okay. So progress reports are still a thing, right? And so what are progress reports? It's that in-between stuff, right? It's not that end-of-the-year report card. It's, the, it's to show how things are going. I didn't plan on doing this, but I saw a memory in my Facebook for three years ago. And you just so happen to be here. So my aunt is here today. And I found an old report card of mine when I was in elementary school. And there was an unsatisfactory on that report card. And I found it. So old. And on it is a sticky note from my aunt. And she was like, unsatisfactory? Come on, man. What you? And so it was an encouraging little note. It's so cute. I got to find it again. I got to show you. It's a, such an encouraging thing. But it was, it was nice to say, listen, that's not cool. But at the same time, come on, you can do it. It's not one of these, like, you know what I'm saying? Not the condemning ones. But anyways, progress reports, we all know we're very familiar with that. Well, do you guys know that in the book of Acts, the book of Acts has progress reports that are embedded throughout the book. And the book of Acts is a literally a documentary of the first 30 or so years of the church. And so Luke, who's the author, he writes progress reports from time to time to kind of give a summary. Here's how things are going. So we're going to read the first progress report of the church. So it's a summary statement. It's found in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read all of it. So we're going to put it up and let's read it all together. And then we're going to kind of double back and look at what, why did Luke include that progress report and how we can look at it and help us to realize how can we progress in our faith. Remember, that's what we were talking about. How can we further mature and progress in our faith? Well, let's see how they were progressing in their faith. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the whole section for today. Verse 42 through 47. We're going to read it all together. So we're going to put it on the screen for everybody. And online you should have it as well. So here we go. They, being the church, the Christians at that time, the apostles and disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We're going to come back to those four things later. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, held all things in common. They sold their possessions, property, and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. 
Every day they devoted themselves to meet together in the temple and break bread from house to house. They ate their food, look at this description, with joyful and what kind of hearts? Sincere hearts. With joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor, uh, the, the favor of all of the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. All right, so let's look at that. That's the church's first progress report. And there's so much embedded in there, like I said, that can help us with ours. Now, in it, there's a few things that you can, that, that we see here. And there's this relationship, and there's one principle. So there's two points that are really I'm going to make today. The first one is the fact that the disciples of the church, they devoted themselves to God and to each other. You caught that? That was at the very beginning. At verse 42, it said that the disciples in the church, they devoted themselves to God and to each other. And how did they do that? Let's review. Let's rewind a little bit. How did they do that? They did it with vertical and horizontal relationships. All right? So you got the vertical and horizontal relationships all together. What is a vertical relationship? It's their relationship and connection between themselves and God. That's the first one. All right? And that was the key one. At this point, what is going on is that, that God, because of what Jesus did on the cross, what we were just singing about, that love of God that he did and, and everything that he did to demonstrate his love on the cross by dying for us and you know, paying the penalty of our sins on the cross, all right? That right there, that is what made this connection possible, that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. That's what so many of us have experienced, and if you haven't experienced it yet, I'm telling you, you need to. It's the, it's the connection that you're missing. And so God came down to make that connection happen, all right? And all who call on the name of Jesus, that's what he does, and he restores you. He reconnects you to your heavenly Father, forgives you of your sins, and now you are no longer an enemy of God, but a friend of God, a son and daughter of God. He is the one who made that vertical relationship possible. And so we see the church. What do we do? What is our response to the work of Christ? Well, the response to the work of Christ is the word we call worship. All right? Worship is, we kind of been doing this so far today. We've been praying and praising, declaring the glory of God, declaring his nature, declaring our heart towards him. That's what we've been doing so far today with prayer, with songs. That's what we've been doing. Worship is part of our vertical response back to God. And there's some things that are in there. And what we see, though, is, is the heart of their worship, the heart of the why. You, you caught it there, guys. And I made you repeat it. What was the word that Luke used to describe their hearts? They did all that they did with joyful and what kind of hearts? Uh, Y'all are paying attention. Sincere hearts. You know what that means? They meant it. They wanted to. They weren't doing these things because I'm like, you know, my mom's dragging me or, or you know, I got to do it because I don't want my wife to be, you know. Or they didn't do any of these things. All of this activity, the why behind it, the why behind who they were, the why behind what they were doing, the why behind who and how, all of that, their why was a genuine and sincere response to the love of God. It was sincere. Now, none of us like to be, you know, fake, right? You, you don't like that. If somebody gives you a gift and, and if they're doing things, a kind of way to butter you up, parents already know, we got that bullcrap radar, right? When they're already acting kind of way, I'm like, something, I'm small, right? Okay? I, okay, I appreciate the love and the person, you know, but what do you want, right? And so we know that. You know, we know when, when spouses are like that, when your friends are like that, 
We know when, when somebody just be a kind of way and they, and then be all fakey fakes, right? And like, no one hate, everybody hates when they're fake, right? We all hate fake people. And so here, these people, they're sincere. They're real. This is coming from a raw place because these individuals, this church, and every true Christian from that point on to today, and even all the faith heroes of the Old Testament, their faith was sincere because they truly believed that there was a God who loved them and that they were hopeless, undeserving, unearning of that love, and God still loved and welcomed and accepted them. This is gratefulness. This is what worship is. Worship is ascribing worth to something. It is saying, and, and it's, again, it's sincere. It is unashamed. This is what this church was, and that is what our vertical relationship with God should be. When we sing songs, it's not because we want to. It's not because we have to, it's because we want to. We don't spend time in prayer and in, you know, in community together. We don't show up and, and do things like church and, and log on or show up because we have to. No, it's because we want to because of what Jesus has done. Did you see that? That's the heart of it all. This is coming from a true, grateful place. God had saved their souls and forgiven them of their sins, and they were forever grateful. That's why they were full with joy. It was the why behind all that they did, and it should be the same for us today, guys. If your why behind all of your activity, even your religious activity, is not because Jesus died on the cross and loved me and forgave me and accepted me, if that's not your why, you're off. Something's not right. The why should be worship. It should be all of that gratitude toward what God has done. This is why Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel. I am unashamed of telling people. I'm ashamed. I'm not ashamed of saying that I'm a believer in Christ. I'm not ashamed to tell you that God loves you. I'm not ashamed to tell you that you were a sinner just like me in need of a savior. And if you call on his name, he will say, I'm not afraid to tell you that. Because... I, it changed my life and I wanted to change yours. Even if you might not like it or hear it, but I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because he truly, and we've encountered a God who really, what? Loves us. And we're proud of that, man. We, we, rep, we rep so much, man. You know, some of us, we rep our nationalities, our teams, our, 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 our hobbies. We rep so much, unashamed. Listen. You can't be a Dolphins fan without having to deal with disappointment, all right? That's me, all right? But I'm still unashamed, you'll rather die. All right, if we can be so unashamed of things like that, how much more should we, we should be unashamed of the one who bore our shame on the cross? That's why we're called to do. If, if we can be unashamed, proud of all these little things that don't matter, we should be unashamed of the one who bore our shame on the cross. And because of him, we have new life. So we see part of the progress report, we have the one vertical relationship. It's right here, it's sincere, it's love, it's a response to the love of God. Well, the other relationships are horizontal and they're interesting. So you got the vertical relationship and you got the horizontal. What are the three horizontal ones left over? Because there's four. There's fellowship, outreach, and discipleship. I'm gonna explain those words, because especially as Christians, some of us, we need to make sure we get this and understand. And everybody else, I want you to know, this is what God invites us to. All right, so it's pretty cool. Fellowship is an interesting one. It said here that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. All right, they devoted themselves, you know what that means? To one another, to each other. At this point, God has been bringing people into a new family, and they're looking at each other, not as just somebody I got to tolerate, not somebody that they need to just kind of put up a front and be, oh, hi, how are you doing today? This guy, you know, I was like, no, I was like, look, they were devoted to each other. 
This was people who said, listen, yo, we are going to do life together. And it's other believers like saying, God has saved me. He saved you. Oh, did we just become best friends? Yep. All right. And that's what we're doing now. It's like there is this connection that is now made possible. They devoted themselves to each other. They were like, hey, if Jesus died for us, I'm going to ride or die for you. Let's live for him. There was a bond there. That was a bond there. So the fellowship was an important one. And notice that they would go from, did you catch that? From house to house. Again, it shows the sincerity that this wasn't, church wasn't something like a lot of people treat today. If you've been with me long enough, I know you heard this. You can probably finish my sentence for me. Church is not an event that we attend. It's a community that we belong to. That's what this is. This isn't an event where, I know it, it almost borderline looks like it. And that's the part that I hate, right? And we got, you know. It looks sometimes like an event, and, but it's not. This is not an event that you attend. It's a community to belong to. It's that forever familia that we like to talk about. This is what God invites you into, a new life. Not just another activity to add to your life. A new life, a new way, a new family. Something that's a, not to replace the other one. Ooh, listen to me. You're not replacing the other one. Some of y'all are be like, I can't trade. Man, that'd be nice. No, you still hold on to that other one, but now you've got this other family that helps to fill in the gaps and helps you even appreciate and grow in the love of the family that you have. If you, re- if you reread this section over again, you know the pronoun that was constantly repeated was the word they, they, they. Guys, this is one part, listen, the Christian faith, there's a lot of us that we don't progress in our faith because you progress by yourself. You're not supposed to. It doesn't work that way. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father, hallowed be there. your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day. Forgive us. Look at all of the plural pronouns that are in the Lord's Prayer because Jesus already from day one was like, listen, this is not just about you. The, to grow in your faith, you can't do it alone. God gives us this gift called the church. He gives us this gift called the family. That's why it's called the co-mission, not the solo mission. It's a co-mission because we do it in community. We do it together. And we share life together. It's important to have that. And God gives us this amazing gift. And there, they, they said this phrase, you catch it, they broke bread. There's a cool dualism that maybe you wouldn't understand. That's why I want to explain it to you. They broke bread is what you automatically may think. There's a common table. They would share meals together, right? You guys know, if you invite somebody over to coffee, you're not just going to do that for anybody, right? If you're going to have somebody over for dinner, especially now in this culture, right? If you're going to invite somebody over to your house, right? You're not just going to do that for anybody. What are you going to do that with? Somebody that you are either tight with, right? That you know, and that you want to like further solidify that relationship, or somebody that you don't know that you want to pursue a relationship with. Yes or no? Right? That's why dating is so many, you know, dating so much is revolving sometimes around a meal. Yo, you want some dinner? Right? And so, why? Because there's just something about a meal. There's just something about a meal. I didn't, I didn't play that line, trust me. I didn't work that way. But there's something about sharing a meal that's meaningful, Right? Right? It's important. That's why as families, if you should have a rhythm of eating around the table together. Now, I know our culture is kind of crazy. Everything's all locked in, you know, locked in nuts. But you should have some point, at least in the week, that you are eating together. No TV, no phones, together. There is something valuable about that. This church had that. They ate at the table together. 
But there was also another. They had a common table that they shared, but there was also a communion table. When they broke bread, they were doing and having communion. If you've ever had church before, you know, the communion, the stale. I'm sorry, we'll still be issuing those stale, those stale chips, okay? They look like they're still from like 1964, and that's what they taste like, but I'm sorry. Okay. Right. And so anyways, and so those things, listen, why did the church do communion? Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What did they do? What did Jesus do in communion? He took bread and said, this bread is my body that I'm going to give for you. I'm taking your spot. I'm taking the punishment that you deserve for your sin. My body will, will replace it. And then the blood, which was juice, you know, the grape juice or whatever, wine. This was what was drunk. He said, this is of the covenant. This is my promise. I'm going to cut a new covenant between you and keep doing this to remember what I have done. This church was not only breaking bread with the meals. They were having communion together. What does that mean? This church was constantly centered on the cross. They knew that what bound us together is the love of Jesus displayed on the cross. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, this wouldn't be here. And so they celebrated the cross. They were centered on the cross. But this was a fellowship, a fellowship, a bond, a bond of brothers and sisters, a new family. This is what they did. And why did they want to do this? Why was it important to have that fellowship? Because it, it reflects a God who wants a relationship with us. Why should people within the church strive to have relationships with each other? Because that represents and reflects a God who wants a relationship with us, right? That's why we do it. You know, as a church, we're choosing these relationships. Family, you're stuck. That's what you got, right? You, you can choose to advocate that role or embrace it. But the church family, that's a different one. You, you walk into this one. You choose this one. And, and it is so diverse. Even in this little room and online as well, we have a, such a mix. And this is a small one here. This is such a beautiful mix, even in here. And we choose. Outside, the world is trying to duplicate what the church has been doing successfully for 2,000 years. To have a group of diverse people together. They want unity. They want diversity. But no, they, they want conformity. That's completely different. That's what they want. They want conformity. They don't want unity. They want submission. Submit to this definition of unity. Submit to this definition of diversity. But it's only in Christ that we see beauty in, in unity and yet diversity. And we're not fighting and controlling. Over. It is the Lord's love that rules and defines us. And so this part is so important to reflect that relationship. God wants a relationship with us. And so we should choose and to live out that relationship with each other. All right, so that's the second one. Horizontal relationship. We got vertical worship, horizontal fellowship. Another horizontal was outreach. This church was an outreach church. Y'all caught that? The, the one thing that some of y'all might have been bothered with was the one when they sold all their stuff and gave it to people who were in need. All right? So I'm going to let's, let's linger on that one for a minute. Number one, this was voluntary. The apostles and Jesus did put a stipulation. They were putting on, it was like, listen, you're going to be excommunicated if you don't sell all your properties. And they're all looking at the rich people. I was like, we're talking about you. And I was like, look, this wasn't any of that. The people here who sold property and gave away their money to those who were in need, they chose to do it out of a willingness heart. They were never forced. And those who kept their properties weren't ashamed. Those who kept their properties weren't ashamed. You know how some people kept their properties? Didn't we read that they were going from home to home, house to house? That means that some people kept their houses. Them greedy rich people. No, okay? They weren't going house to house to collect. They were going house to house to worship. Again, this was voluntary. This community was a voluntary community. And that is the mark of the kingdom of God, a voluntary community where we love in this way, not out of compulsion or manipulation. Do you know what we call forced community? Communism. 
doesn't work, okay? That's forced community. It doesn't work. You can't force people to love people like that. You can't force people. There's no legislation that can change the heart of an individual. It, is, it doesn't work that way. This was a voluntary, and you may ask yourself, wait a minute, why were they selling all their stuff up? All right, let me explain now. Some of, you, some of us, you've been here last week, so you kind of know what we're tracking in the story. What happened right before this happened? By the way, that's a good trick. If you want to better understand the text, zoom out and see what happened before, what happened after. What happened before? 3,000 people got saved right before we read this, okay? Peter goes and he's talking and he's telling them about the gospel, about the love of Jesus, and 3,000 people said, sign me up, okay? 3,000 people were cut to the heart and they realized we are sinners. We are sinners and we need a savior. Then Lord, forgive us, and God accepted them. 3,000 people in one day. Now who were these 3,000? The majority of them were out of towners, guys. I know in Florida, we feel like we have a, somebody needs to put a sign up and say, yo, Florida's full. Just stop coming here, right? Everybody's coming up over here. Florida is full, everybody. Florida is full, okay? We just let us process what we have for a minute, and, you know, we'll let y'all know when we're taking, you know, residency again. We're full. But see, here in Jude, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was full because it was a national holiday. Everyone was gathering. Everyone was coming to Jerusalem, all of these Jews from around the known world, to celebrate a national holiday, a religious one. And so here are a ton of people that got saved that are from out of town. And here's the thing. They don't want to go home yet. They just came to realize this Jesus and what he had done. And they wanted to stay longer to learn from the apostles, to learn from the disciples. They didn't want to go home yet. And some of them, their budget ran out. You know, if you've ever gone on vacation and wish you could add another day or two, but then I got to go to work the next day or just your budget didn't allow it, right? You just have to go. Guys, listen, there were a lot of those people who were saved that their budget ran out. They, they couldn't stay any longer, but they wanted to stay. They wanted to learn about their faith before they went back home. They wanted to grow in their faith. They didn't want to go home yet. And so there were some people who had the means to say, listen, I'll take care of your room and board. I got your hotel stay. I got your Uber receipts. I got it. You can stay here and learn everything you need to before you go back. That's what they did. This was a temporary description of what happened. Now, now, that action should remind us as believers that we ought to live that way to a certain extent as good stewards. You guys know that we are all called to be stewards of our stuff. You know what a steward means? Uh, we don't use a steward word anymore. Here's what you're not. You're not an owner. I think we all understand what owners are. If it's yours, it's yours. A steward, you are dealing with something that's not yours. So, for example, have you ever had to rent a car before? Yes or no? Have you ever had to rent a hotel? Have you ever had to rent anything? Okay. Have you ever had to borrow anything from anyone and give it back? All right? You, you ever had to do that? No, you're going to give it back, right? Some people are like, I, I, I don't trust this guy. He always says borrow, and it means half. No, bro. Borrow means I need it back. Okay? I need it back. I don't like to, I don't like to lend books anymore because books don't come back. And I like my books. So, listen. When you, let some, when you borrow something from someone, you got to take care of it. Why? Because you got to give it back in hopefully a good condition. If you've ever had to rent a car, rent a hotel, don't you drive that car a little differently than your own, right? If you have to borrow someone's car, don't you drive it a little differently? Hope so, right? Because why? You gotta give this car back. And, and, and you're gonna get a penalty if it's not the way it's supposed to be. If you're gonna trash the hotel room, you gotta pay for it. Since this is not yours. This is not yours, you gotta take care of it, all right? If you've ever had to house sit, dog sit, babysit, that's stewardship. You've been given a personal responsibility time for a temporary moment, and you gotta answer for anything. If I let y'all babysit, and I come back, my children are bald, and I left, and they had hair, 
you gotta tell me what happened, right? Because uh, that's you, that's on you. Like, they had hair before, why do I see scalp, all right? And so, you're gonna have to answer to that because these ain't your kids, they're not your kids. And so that's stewardship, y'all process me, are we good with stewardship? So we all have done it. I want you to know that scripture, Old Testament new, God communicates this thing that we are all stewards of our life and our stuff. God has given you a life. You know, this doesn't mean that Christians can't have money. Oh, you can have money and Christians can be rich. I know somebody said amen to that one. It's okay, all right? It's okay to have money. It's not okay if money has you. Y'all see the difference? We live with an open hand to say, God has blessed me to bless others. Okay? It doesn't mean you can't have a good vacation. It doesn't mean you can't have nice stuff. It doesn't mean that. It just means that this doesn't define me. If this all went away from me, my joy is still the same because Christ is the most valuable thing in my life. And if he told me, that's good. And if God told me to give everything away today, I would do it because I love him and it's worth it. You see that? So you and I are called to be stewards of our stuff. And what do we do with our stuff? We should do our best to help others live in a way to help others to know Jesus. These people were selling property or selling things to help other people further know who God is. Guys, that's why church collects offering, by the way. I don't know if everybody knows that. You know that's not like a tip, okay? You guys aren't paying my salary on that. I was like, you know, that was, I'm gonna give them 20% today because you know, that was good work, bro, was good work. Okay? Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to work for tips out here like some trained monkey, all right? Because if I was, well, I'd say some other things that get, would get you hyped, but it wouldn't help. And so, <laughs> the thing is, look, why, does, why do a church collect offering? It's because it's a voluntary association of believers to say we're going to pool our resources together to help other people to know Jesus. Okay? Listen, if you online or if, you're, if you have come to know Jesus because of this church, it's because people have been sowing seeds for decades. That dollar made a difference in your life. And I'm sure you're grateful somebody gave offering at some point. And that's what we do. We give our offering. We do what we do so that we can pool our resources to make a bigger difference. That's outreach. And this church was not a, this church was not a stagnant church. They were a mobile church. These guys weren't just waiting for people to come to them. No, because what did Jesus tell them to do? Go. Go and show. As believers, guys, we are called to go and show, not just settle for, hey, why don't you come and see what we're doing? That's okay. Some of you have shown up online or here because you want to come and see what this church is about. You want to come and see what they're talking about. Come and see what's different. It's cool, and I hope you see, more than me, more than this, I hope you see Jesus loves you, that he is real, and that you see God among us. That's what I hope you see. But at the same time, we're not going to settle to be a church that's a come and see church. No, we should be always a go and show Go and show. These guys are mobile. Every day they were in the temple. Now, it doesn't mean that every day, they, why did they go to the temple? Not to worship. That's going to sound weird. Because does that mean that we have to come to church every single day, no matter what, before my day? Do I have to? No. They didn't have to go to the temple to worship anymore. They would do it sometimes. But here's the thing. The temple for the Jews was important. God told them, here's how you're going to worship me for a time. And everything in the temple pointed to something greater. But the people didn't understand and so they would still go during this time. And now that the Peter and all of these apostles and disciples, they didn't have to go to the temple anymore to worship. And they would. They would go to pray. Because now all of the things that were just empty rituals now have rich meaning. Because Jesus showed them. The temple pointed to Christ. All of the rituals, everything that got instituted, actually pointed to Jesus. And so they would go, and now their worship was different. It was so meaningful because they, they were worshiping in spirit and in truth because they understood the point of all of this. But they didn't go there to worship. Why did they go there every day? Because that's where everybody else was. 
The temple was the center. It was the middle. It was where everybody congregated every single day. And you know what they're doing there? Sacrificing animals that hopefully God can forgive them of their sins. And so the disciples are there every day saying, guys, you don't got, yo, save that lamb, save that bird, save that one. It's okay. You don't have to do this anymore because Jesus died on the cross for you. He is the ultimate sacrifice. You don't have to play this game anymore. So do you see, they would go to the temple to evangelize, to tell them of the love of God. And we have temples all around, guys. Where do people congregate and gather together? Your jobs. That's where you go every day. School, that's where you go every day. Your neighborhood, your home, that's where you go every day. Online, that's where y'all live 24-7, right? And so, you know, that, that's where everybody is. That's where they are. And as believers, we don't just come and say, hey, come and see what God is doing over in 13302 Lynn Road. No, we go and show wherever we are, be that reflection. That was, this was a mobile church, an outreach church. And why should we outreach, guys? Why should we do this outreach? Because it reflects a God who has reached out to us who reaches out to us. That's why we do it. It reflects who he is. Last one was discipleship. Now discipleship is just not, nothing but a fancy word, guys, of being a learner. Disciple means a learner. And this church had a horizontal relationship of discipleship with each other. They were teaching each other and growing in the word of God. They were doing this all together. A disciple is not just a learner, it's a lifelong learner. And notice that they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. And what were the apostles teaching? I'll tell you. They were doing nothing but repeating what Jesus taught them. They spent three years with Jesus. And they're just repeating everything that they had learned and come to know from him himself. And when Jesus rose from the dead, they were with Jesus for 40 days. And Jesus was unpacking the Old Testament, helping them to see, look, do you see that? Do you remember that story? Yeah, this, it pointed to that. This is what it meant. This is what it all pointed to me. And so all they were doing was relaying the word of God and what he had communicated through his word. They were devoted to God's word. And a lot of the apostles' teachings uh, were written down later for us, and that's what makes our New Testament. The New Testament is nothing but the words of Jesus and helping us to look back at the Old Testament with a new lens, helping us to see that all of this was all about Christ. And there's so much in there. And so to be a disciple, guys, is to learn, but it is to learn in such a way in order to live. It's not to be all fat-headed and be like, I just know more than you. No, the point of learning is so that it affects our life. That's what it is. It is learning to live and to embody and to reflect this God. And why do we focus on encouraging each other and helping us to grow? Because, again, it reflects a God who said, listen, I want you to know me. I want you to get to know me. And so that part is important that he does so much. And so we see this principle that what did the church do? They devoted themselves to two things. To what? To God and to each other, vertical relationship, horizontal relationship. They devoted themselves to God and each other, and what was the result? We read it on that last verse. The Lord was drawing new people into the family of God. As the church was devoting themselves to God and to each other, God was bringing more people into the family of God. That's what happens when we devote ourselves to God and to each other. God brings in new people. And I love that phrase, and don't lose sight of the words that Luke used when he said, the Lord added to their number. This is good news for some of us. Listen, you know what that means? Only God can change the human heart. Guess what that means? You don't got to stress and try to figure out how to do it yourself because it's not your job. It's not your job. Stay in your lane. You got to stay in your lane. Your job is not to change anyone. Some of us have tried and you failed miserably. 
Congratulations. Yeah, right? You can't change somebody. You can't, really. It, it doesn't work that way. We can't change people. It is only God who can change. Only God can open up. Some of us, you wish you could do that. To help somebody just get it. To help somebody just, could you just open your eyes and understand, I would love to have that. Wouldn't you? That would be a nice little superpower to have. But that is God. Only he can change the heart. Only he can open up our eyes. Only he can transform a life. But I love this aspect. That is a supernatural thing that is happening. Do you guys know what the biggest miracle that there is? The biggest miracle that you can see. Listen, a lot of you, a lot of you guys are that miracle. You know what the biggest miracle you'll ever see is? When God raises someone who is spiritually dead into new life in Jesus Christ. That, that regeneration and salvation is the biggest miracle, sign, and wonder that is there. That is the top-notch one. Now, there are things that God does do. And did you guys catch that there were signs and wonders that were happening in this early church? But did you catch who was doing it? It wasn't everybody. It said that only the apostles were doing signs and wonders and miracles. And that was done for a reason. Because it was to show that these guys aren't crazy. These guys are and were with Jesus, disciples of Jesus. And so there was a unique anointing on these guys that they did things that has not been duplicated in 2,000 years. They have not been duplicated in 2,000 years. Now, can God still do miracles today? Yes, he can. There is different. But they, not all of the believers are doing miracles. And, and there's an anxiety that is among the church today that everybody has to be doing supernatural stuff. If not, your faith is not sincere. Guys, I'm here to tell you some good news. Just because you are not doing supernatural things does not mean your faith is sincere. Do you know who said that? Jesus. Jesus actually gave us the definition on how do you know you're saved? See, the, the miracles that they did and anything that may be awesome now, it doesn't mean it's not there to prove that believers are real believers. It's always been to prove that the gospel was the real gospel, that the truth was the truth. It was not to reaffirm somebody. So some of us, this is an encouraging word for you. The true raw definition of if you are saved has nothing to do with you if you're doing supernatural stuff left and right every single day. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, and they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. When you can start loving somebody like Jesus loved, when you can be kind to someone who is cruel to you, when you can be forgiving to somebody who doesn't deserve to be forgiven, when you can be gracious to somebody who is greedy, when you, when your life has all, that, that right there is a sign that you are saved. That is sincere faith. In the love expressed. John later says that as well. If you have, how do you know you're saved? If there's love. The love of Jesus reflected in you. Simple. Some of us are like, ew, that's boring. You know, it's like, I want to do cool stuff. I want to walk on water. I want to do this. I want to do that. That sounds awesome. You know, I would love to duplicate the miracle of the, you know, of the bread. You know, it's like, oh, my, my pantry be slacking. You know, fixed. Right? I'm pretty sure we'd love to do that. But listen, that's not the point. Because God did a supernatural thing, saving somebody's life. And what was the church doing? Simple things. God was doing something supernatural through a very simple church. God was doing extraordinary things through an ordinary church. What was the church doing? What we've been doing so far today. Loving each other, encouraging each other, getting in God's word, praying, worshiping. Simple things. And God was doing something supernatural. Guys, what if we're just so, what if so much of the church, we're, we're missing out on God doing something big because we don't want to, we're ignoring the most, the powerful thing, the supernatural that isn't the simple. 
Guys, there is supernatural in the simple things. We can't lose sight of this and we never graduate from this to something cooler and better. This, God, this is the foundation in which all of the other stuff grows on. And so that we see in this progress report, guys, the churches is definitely their lifestyle, their attitudes are changing and God is changing the world. And I love this quote from Spurgeon when he says, conversion, which is believing in Jesus, conversion is turning onto the right road. The next thing to do is walk on it. That's an important one for some of you guys. I said this a couple weeks ago. Salvation is the starting point. When you get saved, God has not put you on the right road. Now, what do you do? Walk on it. How do you walk on it? Well, we even look at this. You need two vertical relationships. We devote ourselves to God and each other. That's how we walk on this road. That's how we walk this faith. When we devote ourselves to our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationships with each other. So what is vertical? Again, we've said it. It's praising God. It's praying. It's getting in God's word on a Sunday, corporately, with friends, alone, every day. This is how we walk on this road. You need left, you know, left, right, left, right. Y'all follow me, right? That's how you track. You walk. And you move forward by alternating steps. Left, right, left, right. You need the vertical and the horizontal. Left, right, left, right. In order to do that, in order to move forward, and the vertical is an important piece, which is worship. And the horizontal is the other one. The fellowship, the relationships that we have with each other. Outreach to one another. Helping, serving needs within the family, outside. Discipleship, growing in the faith. All of those are important, and it all starts in two places. It all starts in our forever familia with each other, and if you have a home, it starts in your family as well. It starts in your family with your spouse, with your kids, developing that, instituting the horizontal and the vertical relationships in the home, whatever that looks like. That's We do it in those two places, and when we do it in those two places, that's a one-two combo. That's a one-two combo that the, 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 kingdom, of, that the kingdom of hell cannot stand from. I mean, we, we, we take out. When the family and the home, we're living it in the family and in the church, both combined together. That is a powerful one-two combo. But you need both the horizontal and the vertical together to be able to grow, progress in our faith. And, and I got an image that I thought would be cool to be able to solidify this. So, Josue, can you put up the, the picture of the uh, redwood trees? Anybody ever been to California and seen redwoods in person? I've never done it. All right? I've never seen a redwood tree in person, but it is... I would, I would assume it's amazing. I know we've got some California people watching right now. But look at that. I don't know if you can see that person. You see, that's a, that's a full-grown man right there. You see him? Tiny. Look at the trunks. Look at that tree. All right? That is a big, glorious tree. Can we put the other uh, picture, too? These, pic- these trees can go up to 300 feet in the air. This is, these are skyscrapers, literally. That's what these redwood trees are. And you know what's shocking? These trees are so tall. Have they have a vertical relationship? All plants have a vertical relationship. Because why do plants go up? Because they have to reach out to the sun and consume the carbon in the air, right? That's how they grow. That's their nutrients. They grow from the sun, the light and the, all that they get there. You know, we're not going to a science you know, factory, but you get it. And so they grow up. They have a vertical relationship, but trees have a horizontal relationship. What are those called? What are the horizontal relationships? Roots. What's shocking about these trees they grow over 300 feet, around 300 feet in the air, and their roots only go 6 to 12 feet deep. That's shallow. Y'all saw that person was like almost 5, 6 feet. The, their roots only go about 6 feet. They're shallow roots. They don't go deep. 6 to 12 feet. And how can a 300, 
A forest of 300-foot skyscrapers not topple over if somebody just sneezes too hard or during a, a simple wind, right? Or let alone a hurricane or a storm. How do they stand so strong? It's because of their horizontal relationships. These trees grow their roots not so much down, they grow them out. And their roots interlock with the roots of the other trees. Guys, these redwoods, they're holding hands underground. Literally. They are holding hands underground. And that is what makes them stay strong because they're not alone, they stand together. They stand together. So the, the strength and the balance and the, the nutrients are all shared among all of the trees. That's why they can grow so tall. That's why they can grow so strong because of the relationships that they have. The, especially the horizontal ones. And guys, I'm here to tell you it's the same thing. Do you guys know that you can't make a cross? You, you need a horizontal and a vertical line to make a cross. Uh, tracking? You, you can't make a cross with only vertical lines. You can't make a cross with only horizontal lines. What do you need? You need both. You need the vertical and the horizontal to make a cross. Well, guys, as believers, listen, you need horizontal and vertical relationships to carry your cross. You can't carry your cross alone. We don't carry it alone. It is not just between us and God. It is us and God, and that is expressed with our relationship with each other. And you don't check off these boxes. You don't check off, okay, well, I did my worship, I did my outreach, I did my fellowship, I did my discipleship. You're not checking off boxes and, and saying, all right, well, I did it, I did it, I did it. No, oh, see, this is not you, your actions and your attitudes. That's not where it comes from. We don't do these things in order to get. We do these things because of who God is and what we've been given. We don't do it in order to be happy with God. And this is good news, guys, because you know what that means? You don't have to. Let's just say you've had a really bad week. I was like, listen, I've been on a sinning streak, okay? I've been on a sinning streak this week. So you know what? Next week, I already got it. I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to be double the time of Bible verses. I'm going to show up to church two minutes early, right? I'm going to make up for it. I've been sinning. I'm not on fire this last week, so i got to make it up. No. See, you don't have to do above and beyond to make it up because you are loved as is right now already. And you don't do those things to make it up. No, you do it because you want to. Because of who God is, you need those horizontal and the, the vertical relationships. That is how we even grow in our faith, especially with those horizontals when there is a bond between us and God's word. That is why the church is so important, guys. That is how we stand strong in a world that is being shaken right now. That is how we can stand strong when your world is being shaken. Some of you may be feeling that. Say, maybe, maybe it's your finances that are being shaken. Maybe it's your marriage or it's your life or your personality, right? You, just, you got just issues going on. You don't know what to do. You don't know who to reach out to. Well, as you can reach out to a God that is already reaching out to you. You reach out to him. Hold his hand. And how do we also hold the hand of God? When we reach out to one another as Christians, as believers, and we solidify that relationship. This is how we grow strong in our faith. This is how we do and the reason why we can reach out to God is because God reached out to us when his red blood was shed on a wooden cross. He reached out to us first. And so if you, be, if you feel like your faith is being shaken and you feel like anything, you kind of, listen, you can always reach out to God. If you are running on empty, no, we go to God. We're called to run out of overflow. Sincere joy, praise. That's how this church was running. We run out of overflow and find a joy that is unlike any other that we can only find in Jesus. And we reach out to him with that love and he gives us that strength and we do it because we are grateful that God to this day is still adding people to his family. To this day, he is still welcoming anybody who is saying and is coming to him. To this day, he is still doing that. 
And he has put us on a new path to walk on, and we walk on it with sincerity and joy, knowing that, guys, we don't walk alone. Not only can we, we have each other to walk with, but Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going with him. That is the God that we have. We can live with sincere joy because we follow a real Savior. All we got to do is keep reaching out and solidifying that hole. It's real. We progress in our faith when we combine the horizontal and the vertical relationships that God has given us. Please do not lose sight of that. God has given you the ability to know him through his word, through the revelation of the spirit of the living God in you. Listen, God has given us an opportunity to know him. And when we respond to the love of Jesus by surrendering our life and receiving the forgiveness of our sins, that vertical relationship is established. And now that vertical relationship ought to be expressed in all of our horizontal relationships with those within the home, those within our neighborhoods, our communities, that's where it is expressed, the vertical and the horizontal together. In that combination, that is how we stand strong in a world that is being shaken. That's how we can stand strong even when our faith is being shaken, when we lean in on that moment, when we trust and continue to press in and experience and enjoy all that God has given us. And because because of who Jesus is, we can have sincere joy because we have a true Savior. All right. That sincerity of joy that that church was experiencing, it was real because Jesus really died on the cross and he really rose from the dead. It was real. And so I want to invite you to keep pressing in. If you are not a believer in Christ Jesus, listen. He is what you are looking for. He is what you need. Stop settling for superficial joy and experience sincere joy that can only come from surrendering to your Savior, Jesus Christ, when he forgives you of your sins, when you call on his name. All right. That is not superficial. That is sincere. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, let me challenge you. Where do you have a flat tire in one of those four areas? Is it worship? Is it fellowship? Is it outreach? Is it discipleship? Okay, just like a car needs four wheels to move forward, you can't move forward if one of those are flat. Take your next step to solidify one of those and allow the living God again to reinforce your faith, reinforce that life so we can live and experience the love of Christ and reflect the love of Christ to all who are around us. That is how God transformed the world. This church was revolutionary because they focused on the simple revolutionary things of fellowship, discipleship, outreach, and worship.